gonna ask you to help me finish this sentence. So be, I want, this is gonna be interactive, all right? So let's participate a little. Help the pastor out. The best defense is a good offense. Very good. That was a great warm-up. I love that. The best defense is a good offense. Now, the origin of that cliche, of, of that old saying, it is all but impossible to determine. But by the same token, the validity of that old saying or cliche is equally impossible to deny. The fact of the matter is that the best defense is actually a good offense. Now, if you want to do a little research, you'll, you'll find that the philosophy behind that or the thought behind it goes back and is almost universally attributed to a military origin. As far back as almost 500 B.C., Sun Tzu, the Chinese military strategist and philosopher, the author of The Art of War, said something along those lines. Fast forward almost 2,000 years into the 19th century, and the Prussian general and military strategist Clausewitz said that the best defense is always to attack, that it was always in that vein, because if you put your opponent, your enemy, back on his heels, then he doesn't have time. He's dealing with your attack and can't make his own attack. Now, in, in our world, we, we typically think of the best defense as a good offense in terms of the games that we play. How, how many of you are chess players? Let me see if you're a chess player in the room. Man, we got a lot more chess players in the 11 o'clock than the 9.30. I'm not saying that makes y'all smarter per se, just an observation. So chess, you know if you play chess, that if you go on the attack, then you put your opponent back on her heels, and she has to kind of, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Uh, fast forward and, and think about, we, we think about football, right? Football. If your offense is on the field, driving and executing and scoring points, then by definition, the other team's offense is not on the field, driving and executing and scoring points. The best defense is, in fact, a good offense. It's a principle, though, that actually predates and it transcends war or chess or football. You see, the fact of the matter is that you and I, every single one of us, is engaged every single day in a spiritual battle. You, you can call it good versus evil, light versus dark, life versus death, Texas versus Oklahoma State, whatever, however you want to phrase it, we're all <laughs> engaged, the, the wounds are fresh, we're all engaged in this spiritual battle. And, and it's a reality that I think in our culture, we're in danger of kind of mythologizing to the extent that we don't really take it seriously. You tell somebody you're in a spiritual battle, they're like, oh yeah, Satan, pitchfork and horns, happy Halloween, when in reality, this is a fact of the life that every single one of us lives. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number six, the Bible says this about this, this spiritual battle. It says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but instead against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, 
against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That this spiritual battle is in fact a reality. It's there. The question is only to what degree are we aware of the spiritual battle? When the Bible tells us that it's real, when the Bible says this is going on, then we need to take this seriously. And it's exactly at this point that Jesus' model prayer that we've been studying for the last few weeks, Jesus' model prayer combines offense and defense as he brings it to a close. We've looked in depth, I think, at each single passage, at different stages of this model prayer as it's recorded for us in the book of Matthew chapter number six. Now, most of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer that we usually say in a group setting, maybe in a church service or a a team prayer or or whatever it might be. And in those settings, the, the final installment of the prayer always ends, of course, with, for thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we said at the very beginning of the series, that is kind of a a doxology, a word of praise that was attached to Jesus' model prayer for use in church services. People, man added that to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, but it's not recorded in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. So when Jesus is wrapping up this model prayer, he kind of connects the dots between offense and defense. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, he says this. He says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is saying here that the Christian, the the person who is praying deliberately and intentionally, purposefully, needs to go on the offense in order to have a good defense. That we are to pray for spiritual protection. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, it's also really important that we understand what Jesus is not saying. When we get into this conversation about lead us not into temptation, Jesus is in no way implying that God tempts us. God has never tempted a single person ever. I didn't just make that up. And it's also important, I think, to understand that when we pray We have to combine our prayers with God's word. Because otherwise, if we pray by ourselves in in a kind of a a spiritual silo, if we're not careful, we will create and we will invent things about God that are not of God. If I pray without any awareness of scripture, then I'm going to kind of create a spiritual minefield and a lot of times not even be aware that I'm walking through it. And that gets very, very dangerous in a hurry. In order to understand this, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. In James chapter 1, the Bible explains the, the dynamic around temptation, particularly as it relates to God. Look at what it says in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, and remember, I want you right now, look at your neighbor and tell him like you mean it with a smile on your face. Don't forget this. going to move on. <laughs> and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never 
tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Now we understand here that, that James is referring to God the Father. God the Father is never tempted because we know that God the Son, Jesus himself, was tempted. As a matter of fact, at his most vulnerable physical moment, he was tempted after 40 days of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, Satan approached the Son of God and tempted him on three different occasions. And it was in that moment that Jesus resisted that temptation, but in that temptation, our great high priest experienced the same temptations that you and I experience so that he could identify with us, the book of Hebrews says. So when it says that God is never tempted, that means God the Father, but it also means that God himself as the one who is holy, morally flawless. God never tempts anyone to do anything wrong. It's not like God is up in heaven with a spiritual radar gun hiding behind bushes, hoping to catch you on a straightaway. God doesn't operate like that. He wants nothing but the best for you, for me. And so in order for us to understand that, we've got to get our minds around the fact that God is not tempting us. When Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he's saying, Lord, lead us away from the temptation. Keep us out of harm's way. But, everybody say but. But God will allow temptation. He will test us. He will allow us to be tempted for the purposes of developing, strengthening, building our faith and our temptation tolerance, our, our resistance. Current research tells us that self-control is like a muscle. The more we use it, the more we exercise it, the stronger it becomes. But God himself never tempts us in and of himself. James goes on to kind of explain what happens when we are tempted. Look at verses 14 and 15. The Bible says temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Say the word entice. Entice. That entice is a great word. It's a great word. I'm going to come back to it in just a second. Our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, we've already seen that in this series. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So sin always takes us away from the God who has given us life, who has called us to life. But this, this, this sin that happens in our lives is born out of our own desires. You know, most of the sins that most of us fall prey to, that we're vulnerable to, are born out of desires that God has given us. Think about what are, what are the, the, the desires that we have just as human beings? Desire for food, desire for shelter, material possessions and protection, sex, on and on and it goes. Those are things that God has planted within us, but when they are used for non-godly purposes, they take us away from the God who gave them to us. It's a matter of 
keeping those desires in their proper context and in their proper place. But it's this idea that our desires, our desires entice us and and drag us away. That, That word entice is actually, I didn't make this up, this is true. That word entice is actually an angling term. How many of y'all like to fish? Let me just see a show of hands for all the godly people in the room. Okay. <laughs> you know that fishing, of course, is a, is a biblical sport. When Jesus was looking for those that he would use to advance his purposes in this world, first people he hired, fishermen. I get it. So, you know, it's really interesting. When you go fishing, I, as y'all know, some of y'all know, I love to, I love to fly fish. Hmm, accuracy. Um, but especially when you go fly fishing for tarpon, there is n- nothing like it in the world. Some of y'all are getting a little nervous, like, keep that thing. I will tell you this. I'm going to tell you something in a second. Don't let me forget. Y'all remember on the front row? Don't forget to tell us something. I'm going to tell y'all something. Tarpon are the most amazing fish to catch that I've, I've ever seen. They're, when you see a tarpon swimming in the ocean, they're typically swimming very slowly. They're, they're docile. They're just, they're, and they look prehistoric. They're not real bright, but they just kind of swim and waggle through the water, going against the current, looking for something to eat. And so when you see the tarpon and you masterfully present the fly, you know, 30, 40, 200 feet, whatever, however far you can cast, uh, you put that fly in front of them and then you kind of, you kind of waggle it, kind of make it, kind of dance a little bit on the end of the line. They can't stand it. You can watch the tarpon. Usually, they're in very, very clear water, and you can see you can see their gills flare. They've got this this big bucket mouth that hinges on the bottom, and they come up and they'll and when you when they see the fly, they like. Oh, and they, and they love you. And it's just, a, it's just a little slurp. Look, this thing right here, this, this is a small little fly. That, that thing right there, that would catch, uh, it would, if you, if you did it everything right and everything went right, that, that could catch about a 120-pound tarpon. Little thing. It's the most amazing experience. I, I can't even describe it. It's, like I said, you see these things swimming, like, But the second they feel that hook, they come erupting out of the water like a school bus on fire. Wham! I mean, it's on at that point. They, and they love this. I call this chartreuse on the loose. They, they go absolutely bonkers for that. But here's the thing. The tarpon just knows it needs to eat. The tarpon just sees something in the water and says, hey, that's protein. Because the number one predator for tarpon are hammerheads. Hammerhead sharks will sneak up on a 200-pound tarpon, come up underneath them, unbeknownst to Mr. Tarpon, and take that shovel plate on his head and flip the tarpon up in the air. And when they hit the water and stun them, then the hammerheads will hammer them. It's pretty amazing. You can find it on YouTube. I suggest you go look at it. So that... You understand the spiritual battle you're in. Because what happens, Mr. Tarpon 
sees this fish, and all he sees is protein. This is fuel to help him get away from Mr. Hammerhead. And he doesn't care. He's like, oh, it's easy. It's right there. It's in the current. But what Mr. Tarpon doesn't understand is that there's a hook attached to the fly. And the hook will be his demise. It's the hook that gets you in trouble. It's not the fly. It's not the fact that you want to eat. It's the hook inside the fly. Now, for the record, I snipped the hook off of this because I didn't want to like hook somebody down here in row three and have, you know, because if you ever had one of these come into your scalp, it's bad. You get a, I've heard. You can get a buried in the back of your head. It's terrible. Now, I told you that to tell you this. We're all tarpon. We're all susceptible to some kind of chartreuse on the loose. We're all vulnerable to bait and the hook that is attached within it. I don't know what happens to some of us, but there, there's something inside of us, and, and it's that natural desire that God's given us. But when it runs too far, we, we, we ignore the hook. We know that the hook is not good for us. We know the hook will hurt. And yet still, our gills flare. We still swim up under, we still, I mean, it's, it's, and I've done it. We've all, we all understand this dynamic, but it's those desires that will entice us and drag us away. Look, look at how James goes on. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. You see, sin is not the action itself. Sin is the desire. Sin is that natural, innate, inerrant drive to determine our own destiny, to choose our own course. Then, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It, it, it gives birth to the things that do not lead to life. It's interesting to me that Throughout Jesus' model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, over and over again, from beginning to end, he uses the word us. Us. He says, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He, he uses that second person plural. It's, it's us and we. It's not I and me. It's almost like Jesus is communicating, as he's showing us how to pray to God, that there is a supernatural, God-given dynamic attached to the family of faith. That, that when we pray for each other, when we come alongside each other, we are stronger, we are better together. And, and this is shown throughout the entire Bible. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 10, this is what the Bible says again about temptations. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is 
faithful, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The temptations you experience, the temptations I experience are not unique to us. I think a lot of times we're the most vulnerable when we think we're alone. Nobody else has ever been through this. Nobody else has ever experienced the degree of temptation. I am such a threat to Satan that he is coming after me harder than he's ever coming to anybody else. Mm, you're awesome, but no. Your temptations, my temptations, these are nothing new. They've been around since the beginning of time immemorial. They are common to everyone else, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. People say all the time, God won't give you more than you can stand. Yeah, he will. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand, but he will give you circumstances beyond what you can stand, which always drive us back to him. But the temptation, the ability to withstand and to resist temptation, if you're being tempted, there is a way out. All that stuff about, well, this is just how God made me. <laughs> it's a weakness. Sorry. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He tempted you to do it, but you chose to do it. The devil has never pulled a gun on anybody. You chose to sin. You chose to follow those desires, to be enticed and dragged away. It is our responsibility to own that. But, but again, there's, there's something going on there that, that's that's significant about the church, about the body of Christ, that, that we have each other's backs, that, we are, that we're connected to each other. When I understand that you're going through temptations I'm going through, it's kind of like, all right, he's, he's fighting this, I'll fight it too. And, and we understand, all right, so now, now all of a sudden the, the company that I keep really matters. You see, God is showing us that the company we keep will largely determine the commands that we keep. The company that you choose to hang out with, your, your closest, let's say three or four friends, who, who are the people that you run with? I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm not talking about people that you're kind to or you have over to your house. I'm talking about your, your blood brothers, your blood sisters. I mean, I, I don't hang out with guys who don't treasure their wives. I don't. Julie has made it a rule since we got married. She does not go to Vegas with a group of girls and start dancing with other dudes. It's a bad idea. And listen, I'm all for, we need guys, men, we need men friends. As iron sharpens iron. That's, that's man, we need that. Women, you need girlfriends. But all this junk about girls' night out, boys' night out. Like if you go to Vegas, it doesn't really count. Or the, the motorcycle rally, or however you dress up for Halloween. Holy smoke. Don't post that stuff on Instagram. Your pastor doesn't want to see that. My point is, the people you run with, 
matter. What happens in Vegas happens. It's real. Don't be stupid. You're a smart person. But to act like it, it just because you're on vacation or it's your, your groomsman's party or whatever, this, you're still you. Your behavior matters. And that's why the people we surround ourselves with, the people we're closest to, and it matters so deeply. I want to go back to James just, just briefly. Back, back to, because there, there's a promise in James chapter 1 concerning temptation, concerning the character and the nature of God and our relationship with him. In James chapter 1, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God blesses. God blesses. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have started shopping for Christmas? Let me just see a show of hands. If you have, if you bought a present for Christmas, that is awesome. Just so you know, we're going to give you a police escort out of here because other people are going to be upset with you. But that's that's awesome. That's incredible. Bless you. We're at church, so. Those of you who have already started Christmas shopping, I, I think it'd be cool to be at your house on Christmas morning. If you've already started, that means you've thought about this. That means you're not like going to Target and buying gift cards. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I'm saying you, you have bought specific gifts for specific people that you want to give specifically to them. I, man, we're not, this is October, we haven't even gotten to Halloween yet. And some of you have, are, you are gift givers extraordinaire. With all due respect, you pale in comparison to the God that we worship. When the Bible says that God blesses those who resist temptation and stand up under trial and testing, God blesses. That, that means the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who gave you life, has something else for you. You kind of, like, whoa. All right, that, that kind of that changes the dynamic a little bit. If God promises to bless resisting temptation, I'm a little more interested in resisting it. Because let's be honest, sometimes, sometimes we don't want to resist it. How many of y'all know that sometimes sin is fun? Can you see, you better get your hand up. <laughs> sometimes it is, I'm not going to lie. Short term. I will tell you that in the moment that a tarpon flares its gills and drops open that big bucket hinge 
and scoops up what it thinks is bait, sushi. That, that, there's there's got to be tarpon endorphins that are releasing at that point, making the tarpon think, this is awesome. But then there's the hook. The, the, the hook. And the hook always takes us away from life. But God always blesses those who resist temptation and promises the crown of life, real life, the life that is truly life. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask nobody to be moving, nobody to be trying to beat the Methodist to lubies. Just in this moment, if you're here today and you have never stepped into a relationship with Christ, that's what the crown of life is. It is to know and be known by God, to love and be loved by him. It is relationship, and it begins with a prayer of commitment. A prayer of responding to Jesus' grace initiative. Jesus took the initiative when, when he became a human being, when he walked on this earth. And more specifically, when he went to the cross. When he went to the cross, and, and the Bible says he became our sin. He became my sin. He became your sin. And because of that, he experienced death. He experienced alienation and separation from God the Father. But that was on Friday, and Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, he got up, risen from the dead, with the promise of a new life, with the authority to forgive sin. If you would like to step into a relationship with him, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Silently, just talk to God. Just silently say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. All of the times I have given in to temptation, my predisposition and I confess my sin in order to claim your forgiveness. Lord, from this moment forward, I will follow you. I will follow you. And I pray this prayer in your name.
just a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. But if you just prayed that prayer, then man, you, I want to make sure you understand this, this is the biggest moment of your life. And you're surrounded by people who want to help. And I want to ask you to do just two things before we dismiss in a moment. Just right now where you're sitting, if you would, take your program, open it up, and inside you'll see there's a connect card. If you would, just start filling that out right now. About a third of the way down, you'll see there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you complete that card, just tear it off along the perforation. And when we dismiss in a couple of moments, just take that card and hand it to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or maybe one of the folks underneath the blue canopy out here on the big front porch. But that will allow us, that, that will let us know that we can come alongside and help at whatever pace works for you in whatever way makes sense. But second of all, as you finish up that card, I want to ask you just for a brief moment as our heads are bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. And the reason that we ask you to do this is twofold. Number one, it's a physical representation of a spiritual commitment that you've made. And so it, it stamps this moment in your life. But number two, it, it stamps this moment in the life of this church. Because for us, there is nothing more important than what God did in your life and your response to it. And so we honor that and we celebrate that. You can go ahead and put your hands down as we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.